0: Blast from
1: our past network. Talking Back. Double Feature.
2: Hey everybody, welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host Tim, and we're here for another double feature episode, and joining me this week is Dean and a couple of very special guests. We have Jeremy and Tony from the Remote Takes podcast. Hey guys.
0: Hey, what's happening?
2: Hey, how's it going? It's wonderful to have you guys on the show. Um, We've been trying to work this out for a while, so we're very Dean and I are both very happy to have you here. We're very happy uh, to um, expose our listeners to you guys and what you guys have to offer. I'm a big fan of your podcast. Um, I've I've been a fan ever since uh, you guys were kind of in your infancy, and I really just really like listening listening to what you guys have to say. Uh, really like the format of your podcast, and it's um, it truly is one of my favorites to listen to right now. And I'm not just saying that because you're on our show. I, I really do enjoy your podcast. I'd recommend anybody just listening to it. It's very, very good. So thank you for joining. We're uh, we're looking forward to this episode. Hello, Dean.
1: Hey, what's up?
3: Sorry, we're really happy to be here, Jeremy. I couldn't tell if you're no, looking no. At me to... I, well, I don't want to.
0: You know I don't want to you know, you, soak up all the.
2: You can take the lead, take point, <laughs> my
0: man. Please, Ab- you, Jeremy's
2: basking in all the praise. Yeah,
0: absolutely happy to hear it. I'm. We're huge fans of your podcast. Like, um, I know you guys helped us out uh, with some sound issues early on when we were first starting out, which was amazing. And you know we routinely listen to what you guys have to offer on Talking Back and. It's great. It's great to be here and meet you guys and uh, talk about, you know, something that I'm really into and that you guys love too. And, you know, I look forward to it.
2: Yeah. Well, well Jeremy, um, you kind of threw out, hey, when are you guys going to cover Saga? And we didn't really have it on the list, but you mentioned that this is your favorite comic book of all time. So I thought, well, this would be a great way for us to kind of cross over uh, doing just having you on to cover this content. So what is it about this book that it makes it your number one?
0: Well, I feel the need to talk about, to kind of out myself as somebody that isn't a regular comic book reader. So I got into comic books very late. In fact, um, I was not somebody that read comic books or graphic novels until one day Tony suggested, hey, you've got to read this. This is not a typical comic uh, book. Comic book, as I described to him. For instance, I thought most comic books were uh, kind of like Marvel or a, you know, a superhero kind of uh, story, and I'm not into superhero stories. And I know that's not the popular opinion here uh, amongst you guys, <laughs> but he said, "You know what? There's something different. You should probably check this out." And almost immediately, I was uh, like drawn into the story. It was terrific, like for first page, like opening scene, you know, with uh, Alana giving birth and, you know, am I shitting, you know, and Marco, (laughs) Marco saying, you've never been more beautiful than you are right now. Like that immediately endured me to these characters. That's, that was awesome. And it just, I just kept reading and it just kept getting better and better and I know we're here to talk about Volume 1 today, but I went through all 54 and it was a breeze. I just I just couldn't put them down. So I'm a big fan. Um from there I went on to some other titles uh, that uh you know BKV did, does like uh like Paper Girls. I love that series. One of my favorites as well. But yeah, Saga is amazing and you know that's why I'm really happy to be here and hear what you guys have to say
2: about it too. Cool. Okay, well that's very interesting cuz I thought maybe um you had introduced Tony to this, but it's the, the other way around. So, Tony, uh, what is it for you about this book? I was just looking for something
3: new to read. Um, I go in and out of, like, frequenting, you know, comic book sites and looking at what's coming down the line, you know, because they always announce stuff, like, months ahead. And I would seen this. And it was described as Game of Thrones meets Star Wars. And I know that's like the popular descriptor for this series. And I think it encapsulates it pretty well. So I read it from issue one. And it's just an amazing book. It just was something that I had not expected. This was my first outing with uh, Brian K. Vaughn. And yeah, just the art style too. Uh, Fiona Staples kills everything she draws Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like i've not seen something like this before and then i don't even remember how jeremy and i were discussing comics and then me throwing this out as a recommendation um and i think i did say you know again game of thrones meets star wars and that it's not superheroes and it's still a really good book and um he actually took off with it because again my interests go up and down like i get really into something and then i'll fall behind and then i'll get really into it and then i'll fall behind and so he actually finished this before i did because you know i had gone fallen behind again but the first six issues um i was on board with and then i finally caught up to i think 52 or 54 wherever they're at now um But I reread this for the podcast, but yeah, my experience with it was just kind of as it was coming out, those first six issues, and then they took a break, and then I took a break for a while until introducing it to Jeremy, and
2: then he outpaced me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it can happen. (laughs) Tony, I love listening to you talk because you sound like uh, a character from Star Trek Voyager. And it's just, it's so hilarious to me. I just, I love it. Uh, Tom Paris from Voyager. I got a picture of him uh, just on the wall right there behind me. If you can see this guy. Yeah. Uh, Robert Robert Duncan McNeil is his name. You guys sound like identical. It's, uh, I love it. So I just, sometimes I just picture him when you're talking.
3: That's great. He's probably uh, much better to look at too. So that's, that's fantastic.
1: (laughs) So Uh. Dean, what about you? Ah, uh, Yeah, this is uh, this is going to be uh, a strange episode for me because when it's something like I really, really love, um, I get this like weird, like nervous energy where I just want to like jump out at Tim and like yell at him with all these like great opinions that I have. But it's a double feature. And these ones I sit back and relax. So I don't really know how to be because I love Saga. I absolutely love it. Um, I I got into comics. um I think it was back in like 2012, you know, in my 20s, first time that I I got into comics and I was reading Batman stuff. I was just like, you know what? I love Batman. So let's try that. Let's try every single thing that's great in the list of like best Batman uh, novels, best Batman, you know, graphic novels, comic books, whatever it was, reading it all. And then I decided to, you know, branch out and find some other things. So I got to things like uh, Preacher, Sandman, Why the Last Man. So while I'm reading Why the Last Man, I'm like, oh, this is connecting. Really love this. Um, I also get to something called Runaways, and I really love that. And then I start looking at, okay, who's writing these books? I see that Runaways and Why the Last Man, same guy, same dude writing the book. So you know what? I'm going to start looking into this guy, and I'm just going to read that stuff. So that's when I went in, you know, went online, Googled this guy, saw, you know, Brian K. Vaughan, see what else he does. And that's when I finally got into sort of, buying monthly comics because he had a series out like called saga you know it was coming out every month and i was like well there was one volume in i think so i was like i'll get to that pick up saga and i started reading it and that's when i got like addicted to monthly comics um it just kind of snowballed from there i got to a point where my uh you know guy selling me the comics told me to stop and told me to read the stuff I've already bought and <laughs> stop buying stuff. So I was getting a little, a little bad when the guy selling you stuff tells you to stop, cuts you off. Um, so yeah, I, I, Saga's great. I absolutely love it. I think I, I like, I haven't finished everything. Um, I've got to the last volume. So I've got to volume 9. Um, I think it is. So, you know, somewhere in the late 40s, I think is probably the, the issue I've got to. Um, and, but it's just Just one of my favorites. I kind of have trouble finishing things because I don't want it to end. And I know they took a big break. I'm always like that. When I'm playing like a Zelda game, I get to the final dungeon and I just shut it off. And I'm like, I never go back to it. I never play that (laughs) final dungeon. I don't want it to end. I don't, I never go back to it. So uh, I've been waiting. I'm waiting for like the right day, the rainy day, whatever it is. The day I'm feeling down, I'm cracking out that last volume and finishing this story. I mean, I know it's just on a break right now and it might not be completely done, um, but this is one of my top five. It always has been ever since I got into comics. I would put it on the top five. It stayed there every single year. you know, I run down my top five um one of my favorites amazing book.
2: okay. well, for me, um I kind of like I had heard about Saga and I knew it was a really big thing, but I didn't really get into it for a long time um. I've got this problem with um Comixology. I read uh, comics on my iPad and I go looking for sales and I I love buying comics and not reading them and it's not because that I don't want to read them but I just buy I'm so impulsive to buying Tony's laughing and pointing at himself he's yep. the same way
3: same same I do the same thing Comicsology and
2: my iPad thank you I'm so glad that someone else does that too <laughs> oh I, I oh, love it yeah. I love doing yeah, so it too easy. it makes me it's so easy and it makes me so happy like I feel great after buying a bunch of books that it'll, it'll probably take me a year to read because it's like book number 60 and 61 in my list that I still need to read. So <laughs> that happened with Saga. I found them all on sale and I bought, all, um. I think at the time, I think, I think they were probably on volume eight, but the first seven were on sale. So I bought the first seven volumes uh, just in one shot and started going through it. I got through uh, the first three volumes uh, and then had to stop um, just because at the time, I was I was usually just reading one volume of a book and then moving on to something different just to try to get through like a lot of stuff and just find, you know, find the ones that really, really pulled me in. So, you know, getting through three volumes on this uh, said something for the book that I actually got that far. But I do have more. I do want to go back. Um, and it is, um, I'm, I like it. Uh, I might not be liking this one as much as you three. I'll just say that. Tim. But, um i know it'll make for an interesting conversation
1: that's why it wasn't on the original list you didn't put it there you know what it is on the original list i put it there you just don't look at my (laughs) entries.
2: no no i knew it was on the original list oh okay was it on was it on it was was,
1: tim it was in it was in the section that i added oh Uh. yeah
2: I usually delete those sections. I know. I know you do. You have your own list. You have like the I've list that you f- let me add
1: to, but then you have a master list where you just pull the right things from. Yeah.
2: I've got that documented. Se- I've got that document set up to just delete any entry you made, So, <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's great. What a jerk. <laughs> okay. So just a bit of uh, background on this book. It was released in 2012 by Image Comics, and uh, Saga is categorized as a space opera. Slash Fantasy, so that's very much the Star Wars slash Game of Thrones. Uh, it is currently on hiatus after finishing fifty-four issues, uh, but there's supposedly another fifty-four coming because uh, the plan from the start was always to release one hundred and eight.
1: Hmm. And
2: I believe, I believe uh, Brian K. Vaughn, the writer, has like the the finality of the book in his mind. He knows how he wants to end it. Um, but they're probably just working through how to get there uh, right, right now. Hopefully, hopefully it's not, it's not done. But that's a really long series, like 108 issues. Oh, yeah. I, I You don't see that very often nowadays. Um, 30 seems like a lot nowadays for, for comic book runs. So uh, when that's all said and done, if they get to 108, it's going to be a real epic story.
0: Yeah, it is pretty, it is pretty amazing.
2: For Brian K. Vaughn, it was heavily influenced by Star Wars for him and also having a child and becoming a parent, uh, which is, is pretty cool. Those are a couple, you know, a couple neat influencers there, right?
1: It's a couple of the biggest moments now, of your life, Tim. Star Wars and having yeah. a kid. <laughs> exactly. Star Wars right. first. <laughs> yeah, then the call. kid. <laughs> yeah, don't, ask, don't ask
2: me to prioritize them. So... Vaughn conceived of the world when he was a kid, bored in math class, which is neat. So he's uh, this has been like a kind of like a lifelong um, uh, thing that he wanted to do. So, um, and I I am this is where I start to take some real heat because I'm not that much of a fan of Brian K. Vaughn. I read his stuff and it just doesn't really get me all that excited. Now I've I've read. Uh, Why the Last Man, I read the first volume, I read the first volume of Paper Girls, and I didn't want to continue them for some reason, I I don't really know what it is, but there's just, for me, there's just something missing, I feel like something is missing, and I can't really put my finger on it, that's not to say that this isn't a really good book, because I think it is a really good book, but when I look at some of my favorite books, and some of my favorite writers, uh, there's just something that I can't even really put my finger on, but there's something in those stories. that just kind of calls out to me. And uh, his writing just doesn't quite do it. So that's just my personal, personal taste. We won't and be able to agree
1: you, with you there, Tim.
2: Nobody's getting up to leave. So that was good. I was worried <laughs> yeah. someone might leave. <laughs> ah, no. <screw> this. <laughs> Everybody's entitled to their own opinion. Oh, exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Tony. It's Thank fine. you. Exactly. That's how I feel too. You like yeah. who
1: you like. It's not a competition here.
2: So I think I'll just do a really quick summary of the story, just so anybody listening who hasn't read this um, just understands a bit of the premise of the story. And then I think I'd just like to get into just talking about some of our th- you know, specific thoughts on the book, um, art, uh, the writing, the characters, you know, all that stuff. So we follow three main characters traveling together. We have Alana, Marco, and their baby daughter, Hazel. And Alana is a female from Landfall, the largest planet in the galaxy. Marco, from the only moon of Landfall, called Wreath. Now, Landfall and Wreath are at war with each other, and Marco was in prison for refusing to fight in the war. Alana, who was guarding him, ends up breaking him out and marrying him. So the book starts off, as we mentioned, with Alana giving birth to Hazel, and then from that point on, They're basically just on the run from several different groups who are after them for various reasons. And we basically just follow them through this volume as they're trying to escape the planet they're on called Cleave. Um, Maybe we'll just start with some of my beefs, maybe. And then you guys can can counter my beefs because it'll... If I let we, you guys start don't talking, we not
1: beefs at all. <laughs> if I let you guys start
2: talking about what you like, I'm never going to get a chance to say what I don't like. <laughs>
1: Keep your beefs in the freezer. We don't want them. <laughs> <laughs> My
2: beefs have been defrosting all day for this. <laughs> all right,
1: bring them. Bring them on.
0: Oh, it's three on one. Are you sure you want to do it this way? I know. <laughs> exactly. I know. Exactly. I'm,
3: I'm glad. I don't we're know not... if I can defend that well. I'm. I. I would say it's two on one. I'm. I'm the weakest link here. <laughs> what? <laughs>
2: Tony, are you a half? is it two and a half on one?
3: <laughs> no, I, I I'm actually just interested in and in, um and hearing your beefs or having your beefs be aired. I don't know how to put that better.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. I think it's probably better for the listeners to hear both sides of it rather than just four of us just like uh, praising oh, yeah. this book. I, I think sure. that um I think there's some things that don't really work for me and might not work for other people, but I understand why people love this, and I'm curious to hear. Uh, what you guys do love so much. So, uh, I will just say, I love all of the big ideas in this book. Um, it's just, there's so many of them, but I feel like that is also a little bit of a downfall. Like they don't always have enough time to get into and flesh out those big ideas as much as, um, you might be able to, if there were a few less big ideas, um, I'm, I'm blown away that they were able to fit in so many interesting characters. Oh. This book is just full of amazing characters and storylines. And just one volume, you meet so many cool characters. And I love all the characters that we meet. Like I ha- There's something about each one of them that I love. But I wonder if this book is missing, with all those characters, if it's missing some of those in-between moments where you like you learn a little bit more about the character and it helps you connect on a personal level a bit more with them um and you can just identify a little bit more with them with so many characters there's less opportunity to kind of dig into each of them now you know i I, i'll I'll caveat that with saying you know this is 54 issues long at this point so i don't want to judge this whole series on just this volume because many of these beefs that i have could be worked out as you continue reading Um, but just to judge this on a single volume and you know whether people might continue reading after this one i just think that they they front loaded this book or this series really really heavy trying to introduce um, a lot of people at one time i would have connected better with the book if there were less characters and we had more time to dig into the remaining characters that were left
1: yeah those are those are interesting points tim i like hearing that i like hearing from you know someone who it didn't quite click with because it's it's not everything you know every book that i love doesn't mean that everyone else is going to love it and so i like to hear why not um and that's that is interesting that uh You didn't quite feel like you connected deeply with anyone yet in in that volume. And maybe all of us, you know, coming with a little bit more um, experience uh, with the book and more experience spending more time with these characters have, you know, a deeper connection with them. So now when we see them in these quick six issues we have these other feelings of stuff that happens later, you know, like if I can just
2: interrupt for, if I can just interrupt for one second, I did connect with some characters. I think they did do a good job fleshing out certain characters well enough that I really, really felt for them in this book. But I I don't know. I, I like there are some, there are some write-off characters that maybe if you didn't have them in there and spent the time kind of um, pumping up some of the other characters, I think for me, it might've worked a little bit better.
1: Yeah, so like, I will probably get into characters later. But, um, you know, like someone like the will someone who I come to this book, and I'm like, Oh, man, I love the will. And then I read the first volume. And I'm like, there's not a lot there for me to absolutely love the guy like I do. So I, I can right. see like, you know, where that's coming in when you read just that first volume. And you're like, okay, the will, you know, yeah, he's doing some stuff. But well, I you think know, he it, was
2: one of the better fleshed-out characters, actually.
1: Well, I I actually think every single character in this book is is deep, and even the throwaway ones have this sort of they have care taken into them, like writing them. No one is sort mm-hmm. of just there. I don't think even like down to like a corporal who's just you know just carrying out one order, and that's all they do in the book. I still feel like that character's deep, and I know where that that character's coming from.
2: But you have a problem with everybody needing to be your best friend yeah, in Tim, comics and movies. There's, there's mm. a hell
1: of a lot of best friends in this comic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: um, Jeremy, what do you think?
0: Yeah, you know, I kind of understand a little bit what you uh, like, what you mean about uh, the, you know, especially in the first volume, uh, there being a lot of characters introduced. Uh, but you know, it, it's the beginning of the story, so I think you're you're planting all the seeds, and I do think that. You are inundated with lots of, uh, character development throughout the, throughout the other issues. I now I have read all of them. So when I did go back and analyze the first volume for, for this uh, today, the first volume doesn't only go so far and it's mostly them running with no quiet moments. You know, um it took how many episodes how many issues for her to even get, take a shower after giving birth. So yeah, they're just jetting. They're going fast. So um yeah, I understand. I I, I could see where you can have that uh that perspective.
2: Okay. Well yeah. uh, oh sorry. Go ahead.
3: Oh no, I was just gonna say I agree with uh Jeremy just kind of like rereading this um again. There really is no quiet moments introduced and they're just kind of from the get-go. I also think like there's something that's really hard with like sci-fi and, and fantasy where like world building, I think, and doing it convincingly is super hard. And I feel like this book does it really well, but I can also see where it's like, it just inundates you with all these new concepts, ideas, aliens, how things work, you know, physics, rocket trees, or rocket forest, right? Um, Magic. (laughs) To where it can almost be um, too heavy in ways, like asking a lot of the reader up front, you know, Um, and how to do that. Um, I don't know. I just think it's hard. Like I was thinking earlier today about like, how did Star Wars like ease into it? Because we have all these words all this vernacular with Star Wars, was it all introduced in the first film or is it slowly trickled through? And I feel like Saga, as great of a first volume it is, I feel like it has a lot more um it's asking a lot more of the reader in your first reading of it, you
2: know. For you know, maybe for me, if there was like an issue zero that explained landfall, wreath, um, and cleave a little bit more for me, I think I could have hit the ground running with volume one and I probably would have appreciated it uh, a little bit more than I did. Hmm. That's
0: fair.
1: Yeah. I think one of the like huge strengths of the book um, is that there isn't really a villain. I would say, except for the war, like the war is everybody's villain. No one likes that the war is going on. It's actually hurting everybody um, who is a character in this book. And like, you have people chasing down your main characters who, so they're, you know, you don't want them to catch them, but also you get different character beats from them where it's like, oh, no, wait. Yeah, that guy's a bastard. But also, you know, he just got broken up with. So maybe, you know, I'm a bastard when I got broken up with. So, you know, it's like (laughs) that happens. And then, you know, you go to like the, the robot, Prince Robot, and it's like, well, he's just out there shooting people down, but... He needs to get home because he's going to have a kid. So you got all these deep characters who the war is all their enemy. They're doing what they have to do to just kind of be done with that. And I think that is uh, quite interesting for this first volume to present. I also find that it's so not
0: strange, but interesting that the at the core of this um, situation where everybody wants... To get Alana and Marco, um, and 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 how they call the 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 bastard child uh, Hazel, how they all want to end their relationship because those two races shouldn't be together, and I think it's interesting that this world that they've created is full of all these diverse uh, characters. uh, You know, not not just physical, but you know, as later gender. Like, it's all like so diverse, but yet we're you know the whole problem is that these two races are together and it's, and it's abomination. I thought that was an an interesting mechanic in the in the series and and comes through volume one as well.
2: Yeah I definitely agree with that. That is a really interesting thing. and that's kind of the main reason I feel like they're being hunted as hard as they are. Um, it's because uh, this this mixed breed child uh, has been allowed to survive and i did a little bit of um just reading up on um some some facts about it so maybe some of this stuff is explained later it wasn't explained in volume one but any mixed breed child none of them had survived more than a couple of weeks and this is the first one that had survived longer than that so i i wonder if that's because as soon as one of them is born they're immediately hunted because it's like that trope, right? Like you have two warring factions, but if only they could fall in love or if only they could give birth to like a new species that that um, is a part of both of them, then the war would end, right? But you've got the, yeah. the people who don't want the war to end, right? The war machine just wants to keep going. So let's end any possibility of that happening. So like I feel like they're chasing the child more so than chasing Alana and Marco themselves, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And there's so many To comment
2: on the war wo- oh sorry. No, you go
1: ahead, you go ahead.
3: Oh, I was just gonna say to comment on the war too. Uh I thought it was interesting that the war takes place everywhere but um their home planet and moon. Just thought that was an interesting way to illustrate like how how this war is or this war machine goes, um and and really affects everyone else negatively in the in the solar system or in the galaxy, uh, versus just the two warring factions having negative a negative effect.
1: Yeah, totally. So. It, it may it may have started on wreath and landfall, but it is everywhere now. It's everywhere in the galaxy um, because. They've brought it there, you know. They they're like, okay, we're not gonna we're not gonna keep this close to home because it causes too much destruction. I said Tim in a previous episode, I love when sci-fi things do sci-fi shit, and I love like when they're like, okay, we got two warring planets, but if we destroy each other, we're thrown out of orbit, so we can't do that. We can't like when they really lock into the sci-fi, we can't destroy each other. So let's bring it somewhere else, and it is very interesting that this one war that started between these two people is now all over the galaxy.
2: Except their two planets.
1: Except their two planets because yeah. they can't do it there. It'll destroy their two planets. So let's take it elsewhere. Yeah.
2: That's a really smart idea. There's um, lots of smart ideas in this book um, that I do really enjoy. So, um, okay, favorite characters. This is a tough question, but let's do You're who's got a favorite Tim. character. To, yeah. <laughs> who's got a favorite character to throw out?
0: Well, I guess I would like to say like maybe favorite race. First, because okay. the uh, the robot race is really really cool because you yeah. can you can uh, it allows the the story to be told through their face what they're thinking. I thought that was just a really cool mechanic to get like what in in volume one you get a couple faces from from Prince Robot and like it's a just really lends itself. To the comic so well because you can visually tell what he's thinking by looking at his face, and I think that's just really cool.
2: So, Jeremy, maybe just describe for maybe a listener who hasn't read this. <laughs> oh, sure. What, what did this? What does this robot race look like? Because it's very, very strange.
0: Yeah. So, and it, it was startling at first when you're like, oh, what's going? What exactly is going on in this in this book? Right. So, yeah, it's this humanoid. It, it looks just kind of have gray skin, a uh, regular, normal build arms legs but when you come up to the face it's just a television attached instead of a head (laughs) and it's uh, like a
2: vintage tv yeah (laughs) yeah exactly such a cool design honestly and
0: when it when when they get mad or they start thinking about something i think it's uncontrollably um they it, it gets projected on their screen and i just thought this is just wild this is really cool and uh so as far as like like i said favorite race d- definitely for me it would be prince robot um i can't say favorite character uh i like prince robot but uh that's in the, in the first volume i think the coolest character is probably the stock um uh in the in the book that she is an assassin she's one of the freelancers that are after alana uh, and marco and she's got um just a She's just like a human female without any arms. Uh, she's got uh, a, a face with like eight eyes. Is it eight? Yeah. And then she is wearing this skirt, so you can't really see what, uh, what she's got under there. And then when the skirt comes up, she's got all these spider uh, arms and legs, and it's amazing. And uh, yeah, I think I would spoil it if I would say what happens to her by the time uh, volumes, uh, the end of the volumes over. But she's definitely
2: the coolest character, I think. Um, her spaceship is one of the coolest designs Ah, of anything I've ever seen in my life. Just in, in general, anything, the, the shape of the shape they made it and, and the color it like, it looks like it's made out of bone, but it looks like it also has technology to it. I was just blown away by that. I, I love that ship so much.
1: And I love that the book calls it out. Like, like Prince Robot in the book is like, oh, that's a that's a cool fucking ship. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay great ship. Yeah, I like it. (laughs) You know, when
0: Prince Robot, when he gets into the ship, did you guys notice that like he logs in with his fingers? Yes. They they like they like become like cords and he logs in in and puts them in these holes. It was. It's fantastic. really cool. I missed that the first the first read through. So uh, the first time I read. But that's really cool.
1: His arms can like shape into things. So he shapes his arm into a gun. He can shape them into like, yeah, whatever the inputs are that he needs to plug into that. It's great. Yeah.
2: The first read through, I really didn't like his character. And then the second read through, he was one of my favorites, if not my favorite. Yeah. Uh, I just kind of, I kind of understood him a little bit more. I think the first time you read it, you see what they look like and it's so weird. You're almost off put by it. Um, But the second time around, knowing like what I'm in store for with this character, I was just able to settle into his story a little bit more. And I felt compassion for him. I really felt like the struggle that he was going through in this book. And I really I really enjoyed him a lot this second time through. Um, Brian K. Vaughn said that the reason he made the character like that was simply because he likes vintage TVs. That was his only <laughs> his only reason for doing it. So he gave them vintage TV heads. <laughs> I was looking for something like some real like in depth explanation sure. to it. <laughs> and yeah. it's just that he likes old TVs.
0: I mean he thought about this in math class. So you know like maybe some that's of that's right. coming all the way back from then, right?
1: Totally, yeah, totally. <laughs> Tim, I'm feeling I'm feeling like you could you could Be a prince robot for Halloween with that vintage TV behind you, right there. there. Yes, (laughs) I'm gonna put that on my head. Just throw that thing on your shoulder. You could carry that thing, yeah. Just put it put it on top of your head or something.
2: I found that thing on the street. (laughs) Some guy some (laughs) some guy had put it out with his garbage, and I just went (laughs) I went and I picked it up. I'm like, this thing must not work, and then I. yeah, plugged it in, it works great. I think I made a recent post uh, playing Castlevania on it. I yeah. hooked the old Nintendo up to it. It's uh it's great. I love it. Perfect. Perfect. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, I I love this Prince Robot character. Um I just think it is I, I was kind of the same with you, Tim. I think the first time I read it, I was like, "Okay, he's the villain. I don't like him." But then, you know, I've I've read probably the first volume, you know, five or six times by now, but on these these reads that i keep i keep going back to he is coming back from like the worst battle in the war as he's explaining it and he's just got home just got home to his wife and then he gets you know sent out to find marco and alana and he's not allowed to come home until they're found and, and his he gets
2: he gets home hold on let me, he stop here for yeah. a sec he gets yeah. home he has sex one time with one his wife. Time. yeah. And then he gets sent off again. Right, like, he gets one a new time
1: duty. to have sex. 100%. He walks 100. in, sex,
3: gone. <laughs> and it wasn't great sex either um, on his side of things. Uh, <laughs> so... That's a good point. <laughs> and
1: you know? that, that is where, like, that screen, you you see, like, sort of the magic in that screen and, like, the narrative device that can be – that how that can be used. Like, we know what's going on in his head, yes. but we can actually see it, like – and he doesn't have control over that. I love it. I love how they use the TV screen in this, um, yeah, in this comic. And, you know, he he learns his wife's pregnant and he's not allowed to come home. Even if the baby is born, he's not allowed to come home. He has to find Alana, Marco, and, and Hazel. And it's just, I feel for him. Right away, I feel for him and I instantly like him. Like, while the first time I read it, that kind of blew past me. And it was just like, he's the villain. Right after that, you know, off this off the second read, it's like, Oh, you know what? I'm feeling for this guy. He's gonna do some bad things, but uh I I, I get it. <laughs> like he needs to get home.
2: Yeah. Okay, so let's try to just work through some of these dynamics that are going on. Yeah. So uh Prince Robot um four, like his race, uh the, the robot kingdom or whatever, they are hired by landfall as like the military. Mm-hmm. So, whatever Landfall wants them to do, they're paid to do. So, that's why he's kind of like forced to do all this stuff. Uh, that's why he's after Alana and Marco. Now, the stock, I believe she's hired by Wreath. Is that correct? She's yeah. hired by Marco's home planet to. Is she out to capture. Him or is like, are she, is she after the child as well? I don't know if we really know any of we these do. answers. We but do. It's we do. A, we she, do. She's
0: after the child in particular.
2: Okay. So she's after the child. Um, alive. The Will. Oh, al- alive. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Alive. Now, the Will. Um, let's talk about the Will a little bit. He's another like assassin slash bounty hunter from Wreath. And he's on the same mission as the stock, right? His mission is to also get the child, and is it alive? They they want it alive with him, or? Yes. Anybody know? I think
1: he asks. I think he asks if he's supposed to also kill the child, and uh, he's not. He's not supposed to. It's the same job. They have the same job. It's the same job.
2: Yeah, exactly. So these two assassins on the same job. Okay. Now, who wants to talk about the will?
1: I just, for a second, want to talk about the title, The. Someone tries to call him <laughs> Mr. later and he says, no, it's the. Yeah. The will. Love it. I love this idea that all the freelancers start with the. Yeah. And yeah. you can tell already.
2: Beyond that, I think it's really interesting how they're named. I think it's very intelligent. Uh, the stock, I mean, I feel like what that refers to is she is the one. Like, because in in the book, um, I think they give the job to the will, and he, he says, has this been given to anybody else? And I think he's um, given the information that it's also been given to the stock. And -hmm. he's like, well, if it's been given to the stock, the job is already done. So I feel like the stock as in she's the stalker, like that is her greatest quality Mm. is that she can hunt better than anybody. Um, The will at first I thought it was like referring to his will just to like whatever he sets his will to, uh, he can't be stopped and that that does come through in this book but the, the more i thought about it i kind of liked it better as the will if you meet him you better have written yours yeah <laughs> oh. nice uh but this, i really think they put a lot of thought into like the assassin's names um but yeah the will who wants to who wants to have a go on the will i'll do it if, if nobody
0: I mean, the Will is the most fleshed out character, I think. Uh he's the most I think he's incredibly like complicated because yet he's got this job where he has to go and you know, he's he's a freelancer, he's an assassin and he's got to do tho- do those things and he's got he's after them. But yet he's we feel sorry for him because he's obviously uh it feel he obviously felt something for the stock and the stock obviously didn't feel that back, right? So, and then he has this compassion uh, when we meet him, when he goes to the sextillion and he sees slave girl, a six-year-old that is doing adult things in this uh, orgy of a place. And, you know, so we, we, the reader is endeared to this character that has to chase and eventually, you know, come to some resolution with Alana and Marco. Like, it's, it's incredibly complicated, great great character
3: he also has the greatest sidekick uh oh character my god i to, love
0: i love like, it, i love
3: tell us about it <laughs> tell us about it tony lion cat who detects whether or not a
2: person is lying and it's so great couldn't we all use a cat in our life
1: yes definitely
2: wouldn't it be so great
1: yeah and it's such and again such a great tool for telling the story like now instantly you can be so funny with one word just anytime like it's not it's it's set up in this book and there's a couple funny moments but you're gonna get stuff down the line that's going to make you laugh that's going to crush you that's going to like just make your heart go out this lion cat is used so well to tell this story with one word
0: Yes, totally agree. I'm under the impression, I don't know where I read it, so I guess it's, I don't know, I'm not going to be able to cite it. But um, I'm under the impression that uh, BKV was going to write uh, Lioncat off, and uh, Fiona Staples said, I'm not going to write that. And And she would refuse to draw it. Refuse to draw it. So I thought that was really cool.
1: (laughs) Amazing.
3: (laughs) That's something else real quick to talk about with this book that I don't think you see with a lot of other books, especially ones that are planned for 108 issues. It is always going to be BKV and Fiona Staples. Like there is no guest artists, no sub artists. It's these two pure the whole series. And that's kind of also something I've not seen uh, before. So I think that's really cool.
1: Yeah. That is really amazing. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And um, we know uh, Brian K Vaughn has done uh, several other stories, but if you look at the works of Fiona Staple, it's basically saga. It's like, that's what she's done. Um, She's from Calgary, um, a city in Canada here, uh, a little ways away from us. And yeah, she just went to like a a technical art school in, uh, in that city broke in with saga and i mean <laughs> score score alert yeah yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah best biggest Ooh. book you know best book wins a bunch of awards everybody loves it you, you might as well start with you might as well start with that right yeah
2: yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah exactly and you're first on like if you're eight. on for 108 issues that's like years and years worth of work for you right yeah so uh, getting back to the will i think there's yes. there's more to dig in um with this guy first of all he, he he looks like all of us. He's bald. Well, he's got his head shaved.
1: <laughs> we're, Twice we the all coolest character. Can identify, <laughs> Wait, all identify. are you guys with bald? The... I, you guys are wearing hats. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, that's why yeah. we're. That's why we have hats on. Although well, no, next time, I haven't we had we a, a recent hat. buzz, so I put my hat on today. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: the other thing too is like. What what is it about wearing capes that is so damn cool? I know everybody who oh, wears yeah. a cape is just like I love it. Is it acceptable just for me to walk around in a cape?
1: Yes, yes, it should Tim, be. It, it is. Should. is. it? You should. <laughs> if this book teaches you anything, it is that it is that you can walk around with a cape and it's fine. Do what you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um.
2: So I I love that we learn. You know, first off, that he's like an assassin, a bounty hunter. Uh, typically you would associate that character with not having many morals or values. And the very first thing we see him do is he kills this giant beast. And then um, this like unicorn uh, female or like a, uh, looks like a human with a unicorn horn comes out and just says, Oh, you passed the test. And he loses his shit yeah. because he's like, why would you have me kill such a beautiful beast for no reason at all? And, um, I, that's really great character development showing us that this guy's got character. Like he, he doesn't, he cares about that animal more than the job, right? Like if he had known that he had to come here to kill a beast, to like pass the test to get the job, he probably would have turned it down. Yeah. Um, so I really love that. I also love about his character is that right after that, he says he's going to report her To his union, wrap. Yeah, (laughs) so it's like in this world, assassins have a union. Yeah, who like defends them? Organized, Uh, and and yeah, and he has an agent as well. So it's like there's like Dean. This is like you said, sci-fi. Uh, thing, whatever, sci-fi things, doing sci-fi shit. shit. That's a really cool idea. Like, um, uh, this assassin is like almost like a movie star, right? Yeah. Um. So I just that's that's more just more character building. Like, there's these are these are things um about this character that make me love him and really be attached to him. Um, that I just felt like these are some of the in-between moments I talked about before that we didn't get with some of the other characters that helps me just feel endeared to this guy. And then like halfway through the mission, Jeremy, like you mentioned, he comes across, like he goes to like this, uh, like this sex den and finds this young girl who's being forced to work there. And his entire mission at that point stops and his new mission becomes, how do I get her out of here? How can I free her from like this slavery? And He's not going to do anything else until he figures that out. Like nothing else matters. So he's a super, super caring individual, yet he's this like paid killer. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I wanted to talk about sextillion just for a second (laughs) (laughs) Um, because like the head, the head and the legs. (laughs) Jeez. So for me, it takes just a bunch of art and like one line from the will For me to get a bunch of depth on him. And that is like, I know he's gone to Sextillion because he just talked to the stock and she kind of, you know, blew him off. And we can tell that, you know, he's into her. She's not into him. So he's like, to Sextillion. And he gets there. And I've read a lot of comic books. And this is the most graphic sexual orgy I've ever seen in a comic book. I'm flipping pages, like four pages long of just, you know, all the most graphic sex stuff I've ever seen in a comic. And we get to finally the Will walking through it all. And he says, that's it. That's all you have. And I know this guy's hurting. I know from that line, okay, this guy is hurting bad. And that just, one thing, one thing gives me the huge depth I, depth I need of the character. I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm kind of on board with this guy, man. He's got pain.
0: I mean, he passed up the centipede woman with like like
1: 40 sets of uh, breasts. Like, yeah. man. <laughs> totally. And a dinosaur with a purple dildo. I mean, <laughs> that was a great that was a
2: great page actually because i i really liked uh just the way that they frame that page like he's walking we see his back he's walking down this street and there's all sorts of like beautiful neon lights and it's all set in a nice perspective of where he's going to walk down this alley and i'm like wow this is really cool i want to post this on social media when we release this episode and then in the bottom left hand corner is a giant dildo like you said giant purple (laughs) dildo or something and i'm like wait a second i don't know if i can post that.
1: You might not have to be able to post that to I, I
0: would I would love to be around the discussion on okay so what do you want on these pages?
1: Yeah. Oh okay. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah I, can I can draw that. I think I can draw that. I can do that. Let's touch on the art for a little bit. Some of the things I wanted to say about the art is like overall I really enjoy it. I'm a big art fan with comic books. Um, I've, I've said it on the podcast before when I'm, when I'm reading a book, I spend as much attention to the story as I do to the art. It's just, it's, it's for me, it's 50, 50. I take a long time to read books. The art in this one was good, but it wasn't, I didn't think it was great. Um, But knowing that Fiona Staples was the only one working on this book, it is quite the feat that she's just the one doing everything. And, at first, I was noticing the backgrounds weren't very, um, they were very plain. Like there wasn't a lot of detail in the backgrounds. Oftentimes, you just have colors, a few colors, um, just maybe some shapes. A lot of it is often blurred out, but the character work is just unreal. like the 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 level of detail and the expressions that are coming off of these characters, make it fit, um, just make it fantastic. And the more I thought about it, this book is about the characters. It's not about really the locations they're at, it's about who they are. So it makes all the sense in the world that you'd put all your effort into making these characters look expressive and look excellent. And we don't really need to care what's in the background because that's not what matters. So once I kind of put that together, Uh, I just I'm really, really impressed with uh, what what Fiona Staples was able to achieve in this book.
1: Yeah, it's what makes I I think it's what makes the, I guess the comic book medium um, better for a sci fi story than something like TV or movies, because you can make any character look exactly how you want. And you don't have to deal with any sort of budget or any sort of, you know, effects that you're not sure how they're going to look. And there's so many different alien species in this book oh, and man. they all look so different and all their faces have all these emotions where we can tell exactly what's going on in their head. Like I think she is fantastic. I think she is so perfect for this book. you know, one of the best artists there is out there for that specifically, just for those facial expressions and all those different alien characters that are so unique. Like I, I haven't seen some of these you know looking characters anywhere else except for in this book
3: yeah i would i would also say like this book is unadaptable (laughs) like i for sure i don't want to see this on the big screen i don't want to see a cartoon or or anything like that um this book for me kind of proves like there are certain stories that you can only tell in certain mediums and saga i think is a prime example of a story that can only be told through the comic book medium.
2: Yeah, that's an excellent point. Uh, um, Vaughn's entire purpose was to make sure that this couldn't be adapted. So he wanted to specifically put in things that you'd never be able to put on TV or in a movie for both what it would cost to do it and for the content itself. So Hmm. when when you read this and you see some of these things, which can be pretty shocking... Um, because, you know, the, the book seems very light at times and cartoony, but then at other times it's very, uh, graphic and very mature in its content. And he just really wanted this to stay in the comic book, um, realm. So he, he made it that way. So I think that's really, I think that's really interesting. And I'm curious to see if, if that actually happens because, I mean, people find a way of adapting things nowadays, right, so um I, mean, I think I mean, I guess he'd have to sign off on it, so he he probably just might not sign off on it, but I mean, I think it would ruin it
0: for me, like I've got all the voices in my head and what these people sound like, and well, let's hear some of them well, no, no I, <laughs> co- coincidentally, and it's probably a relationship between their names, but I always think think that Alana is sounds like Alana from Archer um. Uh-oh. So in my head, that's, that's how, that's how she's talking. And so like anybody else starts, you know, using that dialogue and it's just not going to be the same for me.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, it usually fails, right? Like if you, if there's a comic you really, really love and it gets adapted, I mean, oftentimes same with novels, it just isn't all that great, you know, because they they can't get the same things across to you. Oftentimes a lot of it's left to your imagination to come up with the things and then, when someone else determines what that is, you know, what your imagination should be, it just doesn't always fit the same. So It's true.
1: Tim, I'm with you. Like, art is such a huge thing in a comic book for me, and it, like, sets the mood and sets the tone a lot of how I'm feeling while I'm reading. And you just really can't get any of that across when you put it on, uh, you know, on TV and it looks perfect. It's it's just – it doesn't have quite that quality to it. And so, like, when something like Umbrella Academy comes out, everybody loves that. Everybody loves that show. I gave it a try. It's just not the same feel as the comic because the comic is just, the art is so much different than what we're looking at. We're looking at something so perfect and a show that looks, you know, so, so beautiful and the scenes are amazing and it's a great show, but it just doesn't connect with me the same way the comic does. So I didn't finish it. Not that it's bad, just that it's, I don't need it. I got, I already got the comic. I don't need it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would
3: be Walking Dead for me for sure. So, oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep. yeah another good example for sure yeah that art is so unique to itself like you can't you can't replicate that on the screen
2: i want to touch on marco for uh for a minute because my best me, friend i thought my best friend oh, marco they're all your best friend okay <laughs> best friend. one, one of your number Oh,
1: is it your number one <laughs> he's my number one yeah yeah number one of
2: how many number ones do you have though
1: <clears throat> if i only get like if i get vip tickets to like a movie and i only get one ticket i'm taking marco okay yeah
2: i think it's a real tight battle but i think for me marco has the uh the best fleshed out story in the book next to the will i think for me it's like his personal growth i i think with the will we're watching him do things and we learn about it we learn about his character but marco actually goes through personal growth uh which which i really appreciated so we learn in the book that he's got this uh sword, this like magic sword. Like, his species can wield magic. He has horns like a ram, uh, which is really interesting just to see. I don't think we mentioned that. Like Alana uh, and the the characters in Landfall, uh, they all have like wings. They're all like fairies in a way,
3: but they get them clipped. They can't fly with them, which mm. is interesting thing that they just kind of plant that seed of like how their society works. Uh, Sorry to go off on that tangent, Um, but yeah. No,
2: no, that's fine. The females get the wings clipped, not the males though. So it's like Ah. a way of like subverting the females, right? Yeah. So it is very interesting. It's interesting commentary there. Um, But Marco, so he's got this magic sword he can use, which is very, very powerful, but he's vowed in in this book not to use it again. He just, he doesn't want to kill anymore. The reason he went to prison in the first place is because he didn't want to participate in the war. He didn't want to... Um, you know do any more violence but at the point where they need it the most where their lives are in the most danger in this volume he pulls out his sword and uses it to like easily kill a bunch of characters and then shortly after that he gives up his sword as an offering they need they need some sort of an offering to make this like magic uh, spaceship fly off the planet so that they can escape and he offers up his like magic sword which i think is like a family heirloom as well thousand years yeah Yeah, so he just gives that up and what he says about that is he says when a man carries an instrument of violence he'll always find the justification to use it if we really want to escape this war we have to stop bringing it with us great chef's kiss (laughs) yeah (laughs) I was like, "Oh my goodness! It's it's beautiful." So, like his his uh, start to finish in this book, it's just uh, I just have uh, I love the guy. Like he, yeah. Dean, uh, he's my he's my best friend. How about that? Yeah, all right. <laughs> we can all three of us can go to the movie together. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll sneak in the back door. <laughs> okay. <sighs> uh, yeah, I just I I think they did a great job with him.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I would I would agree.
0: When he like kill like when he goes and goes to town on uh that military group that was trying to capture them and uh alana has to like shoot him to get him to stop so he wouldn't like fully slaughter these guys you know that's that was um that was amazing because you don't know you know during the whole um during the whole the whole volume from from the beginning he you never he doesn't fight i don't i don't you know do that you know he's a pacifist and then when he has to then you see him just just slaughter these guys. It was pretty crazy.
3: I also thought his like, um, reaction, uh, to being stopped was great too, because if that was me, I kind of feel like I would have diverted my rage instead of being like, Oh, thank you. That's why I have you, you know, this is why I need you in my life and thanking, you know? So I thought that was a really, they use him perfectly, I think in this, in this series. So
1: yeah definitely because you see that rage come out and then you're like okay there's more to this guy than what i thought and you know maybe there's some some darkness here but then yeah, to be stopped and be like thank you so much you're right back in you're right back like oh no this is the guy i love like he's he just he's learned that he needs to control that and actually i really like that part of sort of his backstory that they get into when they're talking about gwendolyn which is You know, his fiance that he just muttered her name when he was unconscious. And we get to the story where he went off to war, decided that that wasn't really what he wanted to do. He didn't want to take anyone's life. But then she's his fiance back at home still saying, like, you know, fight for us. Do this for us. Like, go to war. I'm, I'm counting on you. And he doesn't want that at all. He's so changed. he just kind of, boom, pushes that away. Like, people grow and they grow apart. And they're, you know, once you have this interest you thought was common, once someone grows and moves on from that, like, maybe it's time to separate from that, you know? And he just goes off and, you know, runs away with Alana without telling Gwendolyn maybe that wasn't the right choice. But, um... <laughs> I, yeah, I just love learning that backstory from him. It's great. I just, I connect so much um, with him throughout this entire book and learning something like that. I'm, I, I yeah, I'm all on board for him. It was such a
0: great cliffhanger too, when he's like, he's, you know, he's going to get repaired, you know, he's all in a fever and he's like, tell my bride, I loved her. And, and she's right there. She's like, I'm right here. No, tell Gwendolyn. Ooh. It's so great. Everything
3: stops and it's like,
0: who the fuck is Gwendolyn? And then <laughs> the book ends.
3: Like, you know, issue ends. It was great. When I read that originally as it as it came out, it again, I thought they had excellent cliffhangers, um, issue to issue in those first six issues of just like, Can I get the next issue? Do I have to wait a month? And then when they were doing this, it was six issues, and then they took like a three to six month break. They've always had breaks installed in this and they addressed that um in the individual issues where you kind of get them writing at the end, you know, the letters in and stuff where they explain like hey, it's just going to be us too. This is the team and so we're trying to do this in chunks, you know, we're going to do six issues, some time off, six issues and some time off. So in that in that first run that I I kept up with this this volume, I just thought the cliffhangers were so good and it left me waiting and wanting more.
1: Yeah definitely I think I was just gonna say I think Brian K. Vaughn is like really good at that I think he's really good at leaving off an issue making you want to go back for the next one and if yeah maybe sometimes when he ends off the entire arc he doesn't quite if he knows he's gonna take a huge break he doesn't quite leave you on the biggest one but I think when he's in that arc and he's in those six issues from issue to issue I'm always like oh I just want the next page give me mm -hmm. the next page I think he's really good at that
2: yeah So a couple more things I want to touch on before we go. Um, I'd like to talk a bit about Alana, her character, and then I want to talk a bit about the rocket ship forest because I think that's such a cool idea. So I'll throw that out there. If anybody wants to talk about either of those, go ahead.
0: Well, you you can't talk about the rocket ship forest without talking about Isabel.
3: That's my favorite character in this volume. Oh, so
0: for the listener, for the listeners. Like uh, they're in this forest and they're fleeing, uh, you know, for their lives. They're they're there. They're really tired and they kind of sit back. It's one of the one of the quiet moments, right? The few quiet mm-hmm. moments. And you know, they're looking at Hazel and they fall asleep. And before they fall asleep, um, you have Marco says we can't stay here because the horrors are going to come. We need to leave really soon. And so they they fall asleep and you know they. Uh, they wake up and to uh, uh, an encounter with the stock. and then uh, she takes down Marco and you know then uh, she escapes because the horrors come out and they run away and uh, the stock runs away. And the horrors are actually like ghosts. and it's so cool that the ghosts of Cleve are, uh, when, when, a, when a native of Cleve dies, they become a ghost. And they've got some some powers to, uh, of illusion, so to from the living, they can make them see things. And I think that's so amazing. And Isabel uh, wants to help, and the other ones leave. and Isabel wants to help them. And in exchange for her help, uh, she wants to be able to leave Cleve. And the only way she can leave Cleve is if she attaches herself to somebody born on the planet and out of desperate, out of a, you know, she was in a desperate situation. Uh, Alana agrees to, uh, that uh, Isabel can attach herself to Hazel, and that is so. I love the whole story. I love the whole idea of the ghosts of the natives there. It's so neat, and uh, and yeah. So the rocket ship forest is where Isabel leads them to, and they're they find a spot and it's all burned down, and they're like, oh wow, how are we? We're, we, you know, we came all the way this way, and now there's nothing here but charred, dead trees. And then Isabel's like, well, you don't think a couple of us natives are going to uh, not, like, save the best, uh, you know, trees or whatever? And then she reveals the rocket ship, and it's this wooden ship. And, and of course, you're like, how uh, uh, what Alana's like, how can we go take our kid in space in something made of wood. Right. It's so yeah. crazy. <laughs> and, and then and that, that's where he sacrifices his uh, sword to get inside and uh, you know, yeah. and that's how they get there.
2: But yeah, great. It's just, it's so, it's, it's such a cool idea. A couple of yeah. cool ideas there. Um, first of all, the horrors that the fact that they call those ghosts, the horrors, oh. um, because like you said, they can like um, cast illusions. Um, what, what they, what they do is as a defense like mechanism, they can um, project something in a person's mind to make it look like people are being like murdered in terrible ways. So people um, will run away from them once those images come in their head. So I like that their name represents what they can do to people. And the rocket ship forest, we we hear about it a little bit earlier in the book, and like the whole time I'm wondering, okay, like, the rocket ship forest, I wonder what that is. <laughs> it is legitimately like literally a rocket ship forest. Like it's a forest and the trees are rocket ships and like you can get in, you climb into a tree. It's a rocket. It's made of wood and it flies off. It's a rocket ship. Why not? And it's, it's it's so smart that they just like, they're not trying to change what it is. It's like, that's what it is a rocket ship forest. And I love when they get into the tree for the first time and they're like, Oh wow, this has like a, what did they say? It's got like a foyer or something like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, this is really yeah, it's, yeah. this it's is so really good. roomy inside here. <laughs> I didn't know this rocket ship had a foyer.
0: And they got amazing it's, water it's pressure too, by
2: the way.
1: Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah.
2: yeah. Lana has a shower in it. There's like so much space, and they've got fresh water, and oh, it's really cool.
0: I w- You should probably get some seeds, right? Start planting some more rocket ships. For sure. Yeah. <laughs>
1: for sure. There's got to be some seeds in there.
2: Did you guys notice the
1: will ship? It yeah, like acorn. it looked like a seed, kind of. Yeah, it like looked like acorn. a seed. Yeah.
2: Like I, like I wonder if that was maybe from the rocket ship forest itself. It looked like a seed with like leaf wings on mm-hmm. it. It was really interesting.
0: I don't think there's man. That's a really good intersection between like nature and sci-fi and space and stuff. That's yeah.
2: really cool. It's. Re- I've never really seen anything like that. Like I was just. I'm really impressed with just the creation like the the idea creation of that uh it's it's so it's such a smart idea i think it's so beautiful just to see somebody like blast off in a tree or a, ro- a rocket ship made of wood it's just it's so fascinating
3: and they don't get to pick where they're going to that's the that's great, great thing. About oh, it <laughs> it <It's> so
2: <laughs> you, you can you, they say you can maybe like persuade the tree where <laughs> right. to go if you're like if you talk nicely to it but it's just gonna go where it wants to go
0: yeah imagine planning like, hey, we're going to go to the rocket ship for us and go somewhere. When will we be back?
2: Mm. No,
0: Don't know. No.
1: How rocket useful? ship decides. <laughs> How it works
2: so that? perfectly in this book because all they want to do is get off the planet. They yeah. don't actually even care where they're going. They just need to get off that planet. So mm-hmm. uh, it's great. It's a really great story writing there.
1: Yeah, why I think the book is like magic and why it like connects with so many people. I mean, one is all these characters we've talked about. Then there's like, there's someone for everyone to really connect with, I think. But the other thing is what great sci-fi does, it allows you to, you know, sort of connect with, like relate to it. I guess like if that sci-fi can somehow to relate to something in your life, then you can create this bond with it and you just kind of accept the sci-fi ideas. So I love that this book has all these sci-fi ideas but it's connecting somehow with something we know. So with Isabel, it's like, this is such a cool idea, this horror, this ghost that has to connect to the child. She's the babysitter. Like that's, that's your, that's your babysitter of your child. And I love that we have that in the book. And then, you know, you go to this rocket ship forest and like, we know about, you know, we know about flights and planes and stuff like that, but like also trees, like you always think like, what could grow on a tree? What could, what could that what would be great if it just grew on a tree well how about your way off the planet (laughs) like how about a rocket ship I love it I love all these things that they that he's able to connect with that while I'm reading it I'm like I know exactly what they're talking about but they're talking about a ghost and (laughs) so how do I know that but I connect to it absolutely Dean do you want to touch on Alana really quick um yeah sure yeah i love alana i mean she's such a such a strong character she's super sarcastic which makes her very funny but she has these you know soft moments too um she's got i mean the best hairdo in the book in my opinion yep <laughs> yeah you know the the shave the over oh, the green the dyed green and the long hair it's on pretty the one badass. side I mean, it's pretty pretty badass. badass yeah great facial expressions you know uh, drawn um she's kind of the draw i think of the book right away I think she she catches me right away when I start reading it, and then I, I'm sort of reading for Alana, and then as I go on, I realize all the depth of all these other characters, but she's the one that kind of pops immediately, uh, probably because she's so funny Literally. and so relatable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. her <laughs> secret Her secret that
3: she tells. Uh, I like the taste of my own breast milk. I know <laughs> I know
1: it's great. It's great. It's so good and I and the secret thing, the thing that like magic works if you have an ingredient. So and good. that ingredient can be something like a secret. Like and the right. magic will know if you're telling a secret or not. I just it's so smart.
2: Yeah, she's such a strong character. She's yeah. like she's really funny. Um she's just like a firecracker. She yeah. she's like a no-nonsense uh character. She she will not take any shit. And I, yeah, I love it. I love that, um that they gave all those attributes to her. Sure. and like her struggles are you know so real in the book that she she starts off giving birth and then immediately is just on the run right and i think uh, yeah. tony alluded to it before where or tony or jeremy where it takes her like three issues or or something to take a shower <laughs> after childbirth because they're just they're so quickly on the run and yeah. they never get a chance to to sit down or to stop so um Really great. There's a real, like, great dynamic between the characters and they're, they're just all so identi- identifiable. Like, nobody nobody's personality traits really overlap with another character's personality traits. They kind of do a good job of just, like, separating everybody and making everybody just feel like their own character. Uh, Really, really great. I, one thing I wanted to say about the stock is I love how she is the baddest-ass assassin that there is. But she called the will at one point to get help because she was being chased by warthogs and she couldn't fight them off. (laughs) From the horrors, the illusion warthogs. (laughs) 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 Oh, is it the horrors creating the warthogs? Yeah. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. That
0: frames the why she's afraid of the horrors and the encounter. Nice.
2: Okay. Perfect. Perfect. That's great. Well, guys, uh, thanks a lot for joining. Uh, This was a lot of fun. I look forward to doing it again with you guys. Um, If you want to plug your podcast, go ahead. Sure.
0: We're Remote Takes, where we take some good movies and some uh, recently released movies, and we tell you what we think about them. Uh, You can follow us on at Remote Takes
2: at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you guys are probably most active on Twitter, would you say
0: I would say uh, we're, we're trying with some other platforms, but uh, Twitter is definitely uh, the gem for us right now. Yeah.
2: OK, well, everybody, please go follow at Remote Takes and check out their podcast. It's a lot of fun and uh, definitely look forward to having you guys back if you'd um, be willing to come back. So, oh, of man, course, it's
0: been a ton of fun. Thank you guys for inviting us. Uh, love to see you guys in person and, uh, you know, have a live chat with you. Love Saga. And thanks a lot
2: yeah yeah thank you uh oh go
3: ahead oh i was just gonna say uh you guys are hilarious and i really like talking to you both so this was a (laughs) lot of fun so yeah i would love to to come back chat more saga or whatever and um just had a really fun time with you guys thanks for having us
1: yeah we had fun too i i Tim was able to say at the beginning that he loves your podcast. I do as well. I'm uh, I, I listen all the time when it comes out. It's a great podcast. You guys have great ideas. You're so funny. We uh, same with us on this side. We love talking to you.
2: Thanks. Yeah, I think we're a lot alike. Um, you know, I I like our conversations, and yeah, I, we'd love to have you guys back. So we'll we'll, we'll figure that out. We'll figure out what uh, the content should be, and yeah, Dean, thank you for joining as well. Always, buddy. And thanks everybody for listening and we'll catch you next time.